Emory Law students stand up for free speech on campus, the opposing realities and perceptions of race, and what both sides of the political spectrum get wrong about gender-affirming care. Welcome to Fair News Weekly. To read all of the articles discussed in this podcast, please visit this podcast's episode description. Last year, a group of Emory Law School students established an Emory Free Speech Forum. Their belief is that the best answers are often found through open inquiry and debate. Having witnessed intolerance at Emory and other college campuses, the EFSF students sought to create a place for interested students to hear, consider, and debate diverse ideas. In October 2021, the EFSF applied for formal recognition as a student organization, which would enable it to use school space and potentially receive funding. Applications are heard and decided by Emory's Student Bar Association. The SBA denied the EFSF's application twice, under the pretext that open inquiry is harmful and the EFSF overlapped with other organizations. Notably, during the hearings, an SBA member remarked that the EFSF members were incapable of operating a free speech organization because of their perceived skin color. Quote, I don't know how, like, y'all would foster, like, such diverse conversations because, like, no offense, all of you are white. The EFSF members are not all white. Another SBA member stated that funding would be inappropriate because the EFSF has very few individuals of color. Fair sent a letter to the Emory SBA and administration on January 18, 2022, informing them that their actions violated Title VI of the Civil Rights Act, which prohibits federally funded institutions from discriminating based on skin color and race. More than a month has passed, and the SBA has still not reversed its decision to deny the EFSF's application. If you are concerned about intolerance and civil rights violations on university campuses, please follow the link in the description below to show your support. Funds raised will support legal efforts on behalf of the Emory Free Speech Forum and similar endeavors. Do you value the civil rights and liberties of all individuals, regardless of their skin color, ancestry, or other group identity? Are you interested in supporting and learning more about FAIR's nonpartisan, pro-human mission and how FAIR promotes fairness, understanding, and our common humanity? Join us this summer as a FAIR intern. We are seeking highly motivated and open-minded undergraduate students and recent graduates for paid, full-time summer internships. Ideal candidates will value curiosity, compassion, and courage coupled with communication and leadership skills and a passion for FAIR's pro-human values and vision. This internship will provide you with real-world experience in a nonpartisan, dynamic, and mission-driven organization, while also empowering you to develop resources and become ambassadors for FAIR's mission in your own communities. We want our FAIR Substack to be the go-to publication for people interested in sharing and reading diverse perspectives on our culture and civil rights. Whether you're a seasoned author or an amateur writer with a story to tell that contributes to our mission of promoting fairness, understanding, and humanity, we would love to receive your stories, opinions, investigations, reviews, interviews, and more. Please submit your piece to submissions at fairforall.org. More info and submission guidelines are in the description below. 
The Fair Diversity Conversations series is open to the public. These events are typically held on the first Monday of each month. In this webinar series, Fair Diversity panelists discuss how to apply the fundamental principles of inclusive and civil dialogue to everyday social interactions. We use the pro-human approach to navigate challenging conversations in healthcare, education, corporate, nonprofit sectors, and more. This month's registration can be found in the episode description. This week on our Substack, Fair Advisor Wilfred Riley wrote a piece discussing how media narratives on race and racism not only do not reflect reality, but are frequently opposite reality. Riley highlights several media stories and surveys to point out that, while there are certainly exceptions, the vast majority of racialized police brutality stories collapse even under a cursory examination. He believes the incentive structures of both the news media and social media are largely to blame. He says, Why do so many smart people believe inter-ethnic violence is so much worse than it is? One reason that American mainstream media is structured in a way that incentivizes the promotion of stories that worsen political polarization. The same could also be said for social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter. Basic data about interracial violence often seem not merely ignored by mainstream media sources, but actively misrepresented. According to Riley, this is all very unhelpful and gets in the way of addressing the vestiges of racism that still exist in America, since any solution will require us being able to form an accurate picture of reality. On Fair Advisor Barry Weiss's Substack, Common Sense, she hosted a symposium of top intellectuals to discuss the meaning and purpose of Black History Month. The meeting consisted of Fair Advisors Sheena Mason, Daryl Davis, Eli Steele, and Coleman Hughes, and other top minds. Does it risk disassociating the Black history from the rest of American history, as though they are separate and distinct? Is it essential to highlight the contributions of Black Americans? Does Black History Month cause unnecessary racial strife by emphasizing our differences instead of our similarities? These questions, and more, are addressed in this piece. For Unheard, former Wall Street Journal reporter Azra Nomani wrote a piece discussing the ways the so-called anti-racism movement betrays Asian students. Nomani used her son's school, Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology, where Asian students comprise over 70% of the student body, as a test case. According to Nomani, in the months that followed the 2020 race riots, the local school board voted to remove the school's merit-based, race-blind admissions process and replace it with one that was race-based. Along with other parents, I was horrified by the school's readiness to use identity rather than achievement as a basis of admissions. When Nomani and other parents spoke out against implementing these race-based admission policies that would greatly slash Asian admissions, they were frequently met with vitriol, insults, and attempts to pressure them into silence. For the Chronicle of Higher Education, Jeffrey Snyder wrote about the ways diversity, equity, and inclusion measures can restrict or eliminate free speech. He described a situation at George Washington University where provocative posters created by a Chinese-Australian artist critical of the CCP sparked outrage by Chinese students who viewed them as racist and a naked attack on the Chinese nation. After taking the posters down, university president Mark Wrighton reversed course when he received criticism and learned the poster's true origin and message. He then affirmed his commitment to free speech. I want to be very clear, he says. I support free speech, even when it offends people. 
However, the Chinese Cultural Association at the university attempted to suppress criticism of China's human rights abuses by exploiting the logic of DEI and social justice. The Cultural Association cited offense, claimed the posters violated the university's commitment to equality and inclusion, and said they posed a risk to the safety of Chinese students. In The Guardian, David Rosado, Musa Algarbi, and Jamin Halberstadt wrote a piece describing their new study published in the Social Science Computer Review, demonstrating the substantial shift in words related to prejudice and discrimination, beginning in the early 2010s. According to the authors, this phenomenon is observed in both left- and right-leaning media alike. They state, It may be that this rapid shift in attitudes among new producers and their primary audiences is what ended up driving rapid changes in media discourse, setting the stage for social justice movements to break through into the mainstream in a way that they might not have been able to prior. However, the author's data suggests that it is the changes in media coverage that seem to predict shifts in public perceptions around race and gender discrimination, not the other way around. For Newsweek, author Lisa Selin Davis described what both sides of the political spectrum get wrong about gender-affirming care. She points out how, from a mainstream media perspective, it may appear that the political left is fighting to ensure children with gender dysphoria get the care they need, while the political right is dead set on banning all such attempts. But, according to Davis, when politics are pulled back and the science scrutinized, a very different picture becomes clear, or rather, it becomes clear just how murky the science is, just how much dispute there is on how life-saving these medical interventions are. Absent a partisan lens, it becomes clear how ambiguous the long-term safety and efficacy is of medical intervention, and how bipartisan the concern about them. Davis urges us to view both sides as wanting the best medical outcomes for gender dysphoric children, instead of viewing care and empathy as being restricted to one side of the political aisle. While it is tempting to cast your opponents as evil, such depictions are often inaccurate and stand in the way of real progress on many important issues. On Tara Henley's substack, Lean Out, she interviewed investigative journalist and author and conflict mediator Amanda Ripley about the ways we can help to pull our society back from the brink of societal chaos, as well as strategies we can employ to prevent us from losing relationships with loved ones. Ripley describes high conflict or the state of discourse where the facts stop mattering very much and it all becomes about the fear of the other side. When public discourse enters a state of high conflict, Problems are portrayed as being overly simplistic. There's good versus evil, us versus them, black versus white, Democrat versus Republican. This, according to Ripley, is a coping mechanism for people who are dealing with anxiety and fear and uncertainty and disinformation. Ripley says the solution to periods of high conflict is to get insanely curious. She says, You have to do something really hard, which is to get insanely curious at a time when no one else is curious. So, really trying to understand why people are behaving the way they are. It's like a game of chicken. No one will listen until they feel heard. Right now, no one feels heard. Who is going to listen first? Who is going to interrupt that dance? Finally, if you liked this podcast, subscribe, share it with a friend, and leave us a rating and review. Make sure to check out our newsletter and weekly roundup to read more into any of this week's stories or visit the episode description. Donations are always welcome at fairforall.org donate.